Tonight we're going to look at the life of Samson. An odd story for sure. We're going to see that he is um, the last of the judges. In our story of going through the Bible, we've come to this book. And Pastor Brandon in the first teaching said that God used a bunch of oddities and oddballs in this part of Israel's history. And we're going to continue that. Remember, he said he used a lefty, Ehud, who had the dagger and went in and killed the king. And he used a lady, and that wasn't normal for that time. And her name was Deborah. She was a prophetess and a leader. And then he used a cowardly lion in Gideon who ended up with a great victory with 300 people. So we see that there was a lot of odd people being used in this part of Israel's history. But then he brought it, and, and the collation was to the church today and to the church of the early, um, early hundred, first hundred years in the book of Acts. And we read the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read this to you again, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to push to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and these things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So we see that in the New Testament. In Calvary Chapel, in our early years and the early beginnings, there are some really oddballs that became pastors of large churches and are still ministering today. And would you say that's true, John, that there's a few out there <laughs> that, that just were, were just strange? You know, people without big degrees, they weren't theologians, they didn't come from Bible colleges, and yet God blessed them over and over. And so we see that this is true. We also noticed in our first couple studies in Judges, that there's a pattern of sin, suffering, and salvation. We see this right after the death of Joshua in chapter 2 of, um, of, of Judges, where we saw the pattern begin, sin, suffering, and salvation. And then we saw it with the very first judge in chapter 3. Let me read you a little bit about that. Chapter 3 and verse um, 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Cushites and the Rishorite king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served the Cushite Rishimus eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them, Othel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered. And so we see that pattern has been established. Last week, we added to that sin, suffering, and salvation, that we were saved from that suffering to serve. Israel was to be a theocracy. It was to be ruled by God directly. He had representatives, Moses, Joseph, judges. Later, he's going to have kings and prophets. But the people went after other gods. They went after idols. They went after a golden calf. They went after Baals. Judges shows that peace in the promised land requires obedience. Tonight, we're going to look at the life of Samson chapters 13 to 16 of Judges. 
Superhero movies seem to be coming out almost every week these days, and they've, got, they've made up superheroes that most of us have never heard of. Some of us can remember Superman or the original Batman, you know, with Robin and those guys. But in all of Israel's history, there is no superhero like Samson, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Samson was a great guy. His resume reads like this. Killed a lion with his bare hands. Killed 30 Philistines who had plotted against him. Defeated a thousand of the enemy with the jawbone of a donkey. Destroyed the city gates. Killed 3,000 in his final act. So let's read the first part of Samson's story in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zoah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Mona, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have, have no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything that is unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come to his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So in verse 1, we see that that cycle is continuing. And then the foretelling of Samson's birth. Miracles in the book of Judges, we've seen some already. The dew on the ground or on the fleece. Defeating the Mennonites with only 300. So with Samson, we see an appearance of the angel of the Lord, Jehovah or Yahweh. We see that a child is going to be born of a barren woman and that he is going to have supernatural strength. He was to be a Nazarite. The Hebrew word Nazareth means separated one. Nazarites were men who took a vow to separate themselves from the world in order to fulfill, to be fully concentrated, consecrated to God, consecrated to, for a given period of time, usually six months or a year. But Samson was for his whole life. He was unique. From number six, we know that a Nazarite was one who was concentrated to serve God in three specific areas are listed for us. He was not to touch wine, not even grapes. He was to let his hair grow, and he was to stay away from anything that was dead. I wonder why those three things were pointed out. Why were those three things brought out for the Nazarite? Well, wine is, and back then, was a symbol of earthly joy. But the New Testament tells us, be not drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul declared that in Ephesians. The long hair was the sign of the Nazarite to serve as an outward sign of his consecration. Just as we are to be identified by an outward sign of love. John 13 tells us, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I think that is so exciting when a church is missional, as Mike was saying, and we reach out and we love the community that we're in. People are drawn to that. When people look at us and say, God, you guys really get along and you love each other, why is that? Then people are drawn to us. 
To keep himself pure, the Nazarite was to keep away from decay and death. And I think for us today, it's the same thing. We're also to be careful to stay away from things that are dead in this world, not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, lest we ourselves become defiled and dried up and dead. Notice there in 5, the very last sentence, that there was a promise given, he shall begin to deliver Israel. In verses 8 to 25, we see that Samson had a good start. In verse 8, we see that his parents prayed. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. So his parents were godly parents. They prayed. And then in verse 19, they say this. Well, verse 18, and then the angel of the Lord came and said, why do you ask my name? It is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offerings and offered it upon the rock of the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. He confirmed the work that Samson was going to do. And then he had this interesting conversation with him. Why do you ask my name? Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Jacob asked that same question, why do you ask my name? But this name, wonderful, comes from Isaiah, where Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, says, unto you a son is born, and you will be, well, let me just read it to you. For unto you a child is born, and unto you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. So that's his name. And so the spirit began to do work upon Samson, and he became to uh, move upon him. But Samson despised his upbringing. What a shame when young people are brought up by godly parents. Their parents pray with them. Their parents take them to church, like, like Samson's parents did. And instead of putting himself into God's hand to accomplish the things that he was called to do, to accomplish the God-given task that he was given, to deliver Israel from the Philistines, he chose rather to please himself. And I think it's one of the things that the church is struggling with today, is how do we keep those 18-year-olds and those 20-year-olds in the church? How do we keep them excited? How do we get them to want to go and do ministry and stay in the church and doing the things? That's where Samson was. He was a young man. He had godly parents. They prayed. They did sacrifices. They had a relationship with the Lord. But he he chose to please himself. And how tragic that is for our young people today when they choose to plead themselves. So in verse in chapter 14, in the first few verses, we see that he actually defies his parents. 14 verse 1, Now Samson went down to Timrah and saw a woman in Timrah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and he told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timrah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then the father and the mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel." 
He went down geographically, he went down, and spiritually he went down, leaving Israel for the land of the other gods. I thought it was interesting in those first couple verses that he told his father. He disregarded his parents' advice in verse 3. And the parents didn't know that the Lord was in this. From verse 5 to the end of the chapter, we see Samson's first two miracles. He killed a lion with his bare hand. You guys probably know the story of Samson because it's one of the more popular ones that we study. But he killed a lion with his bare hands and left his carcass by the side of the road. Later, when he was on his way to come back and to get his wife, he found some bees in the carcass and made honey. And then he came to the city where his wife was, his wife-to-be, this woman that he wanted. And the father said, you know, you're kind of by yourself. I'm going to give you 30 companions, and they're going to be your buddies, and they're going to party with you so that we can have a great feast and a great ceremony. And then Samson wants to play around with them a little bit, so he gives them a riddle. And he tells them, he says, I'm going to give you a riddle, and if you guys can figure it out, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing. I'll give you all some new clothing. If you can't figure it out, then you give me 30 pieces of clothing. And he says, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong, something sweet. They couldn't figure it out. They kept asking his wife, go in and find out what's going on. And she caused him to finally yield, and they knew the, they knew the riddle, and they came and they told it to Samson. And his words are kind of interesting. So he says this. So looking ahead in chapter 14, um, let's pick it up with verse 18. So the men of the city said to him, On the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashok and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave them the change of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. I wonder if their apparel was bloody. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the companion who had been his best man. Disrespecting his parents' guidance doing his own thing, setting up his own eyes. Man, that's, a, that's a, pretty tough, a pretty tough thing. Samson came back in chapter 15 to visit his wife, and he found that her father had given her away to his best man. That's kind of an interesting thing. The father said, I thought you weren't coming back. Samson said, this time, whatever comes out of this, I'm blameless. And in this chapter, it was kind of interesting because it seems like it's a chapter of victories, but it ends with this strong man utterly exhausted and crying out to the Lord. You know the stories in this chapter as well. He gets some foxes and he ties their tails together and he puts torches in them and he sends it out to destroy all the crops of the Philistines. The Philistines burn the house of the father and his wife to, in, to, to pay back. And then it says that Samson avenged that, and there was a great slaughter in that town. So Samson goes on up to his people, and he hides in Judah. And the Philistines come after him in Judah, and there he was hiding. And they talked, and they talked them, his brothers, into going out and bringing Samson to them. So they brought him bound in ropes to the Philistines, and note the contemptuous words of his brothers. Now these are brothers in Israel, in, in um, Chapter 15, verse 11, he said, they says, 
Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cliff of the rock of Edom, and they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Is that the message that Joshua had when he brought them into the promised land? Is that the message that they had when, the, when they looked at the report of the spies? That's not the way it was supposed to work at all, but that's what's happened to Israel is that they've allowed the Philistines to have um, rule over them. So let's read the rest of the story starting there in verse 13, 13b, the very end of 13. And they bound him with the two new ropes... And they brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon um, him mightily, and the ropes that were around his arms were like flax that were burned in the fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and reached out his hand and took it, and he killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his right hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place of Levi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit was returned and revived. Therefore, he called the name in Rakor, which is Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philippines. Killed 3,000 with the jawbone of a donkey and ended up totally exhausted. But you know what I found interesting in that 18th verse? Only one of two prayers that's recorded about Samson. Remember, his parents prayed, so he knew how to pray. Samson's honest in his prayer with the Lord. He says, I, So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by my hand, and now shall I die? and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. You know, when I read the Psalms, and I've been reading the Psalms in my personal devotions lately, and then looking at the prayers of David, he was brutally honest with God. He wasn't afraid to say, why? How come? I don't understand. I don't like this. It's not working out. But we sometimes, I don't know that we get into that conversation with the Lord where we really honestly speak to him from our hearts. We're more just giving him a list of our needs. But Samson, here's Samson. He knows he's living wrong. He knows he's not living up to his, his, his calling. And yet he still prays, and he has this honest, sincere dialogue with the Lord. So he's refreshed, and he ruled for 20 years over the nation. Now, the judges only ruled a part of the nation. They didn't rule the whole nation. They were just ruling over a territory. In chapter 16, more women in Samson's life. A harlot and Delilah. In the first three verses, Samson goes to Gaza to a harlot. The men of the city find out. They lay in wait for him. Overnight, he finds out. He wakes up at midnight. He picks up the, the gatepost of the city gates, and he carries them, and he plants them on a mountain and walks away. And so he just used his strength. Uh, at midnight. But in verses 4 to 22, probably the best-known story of, uh, of Samson is Delilah. Um, 
the leaders of the Philistines really wanted to know where his strength was. So let's read the first few verses of this story, starting with verse 4, chapter 16, verse 4. After it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sukkot, whose name was Delilah. By the way, that city, Sukkot, in that valley, that means red grapes. So that was a city that was probably given over to red grapes and probably wine and probably partying. But anyhow, in that city, uh, uh, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overthrow him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Three times Delilah tries to entice him, to tell her. The word for entice means to find an opening, a point of vulnerability or weakness, an Achilles heel. You know, in Greek mythology, mythology Achilles was a son of two gods, and uh, he was handsome, he was powerful, and he was a great warrior. His mother took him down to a river that was supposed to make him invincible, and she dipped him in that river but held him by his foot and his ankle, and that was the only part that didn't get in the river. Later in a time of war, someone shot an arrow, hit him in his ankle, and that's where that, that phrase comes from. So three times Delilah tries to entice Samson. Bowstrings, if I'm tied up with bowstrings, my strength will be gone. New ropes, my strength will be gone. If you weave my hair into a loom, into a, a, a weaver's loom, then I'll be, my strength will leave me. And all three times, the same results. The Philistines came. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He got up and got away, and nothing happened. That word entice, though, is also found in James chapter 1, talking to the church, talking about the church that, that James loved. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And that seems to have been Samson's problem. He's being drawn away and enticed. In that, in that particular passage, the Greek word is lured with bait. It's like fishing, like we do when we go fishing. So in verses 16 to 20, the fourth time, he tells her the truth. So let's look at those verses, starting with verse 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her for all his heart, told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any others. When Delilah saw, and he told her his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, Come up once more, for he's told me his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money into her hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knee and called for a man, and had came in and shaved the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. The fourth time, he finally tells her everything. My hair has never been cut. I'm actually a Nazarite to God. And again, the Philistines came, and this time, they prevailed. And let's see what they did to this strong man, Samson. Then the Philistines took him, um, no, let's uh, verse 20. 
And then, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke up from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. We'll come back there in a minute. What tragic words. He did not know that the Lord had left him. You know, there's probably no more tragic sentence in the whole Bible than this one. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Here we have the story of a man who was set apart from birth to serve God, who was nurtured by loving parents who prayed and did offerings to God. He was set apart. He was to be called a Nazarene. But he went after his own desires. Back in chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, we read this. So the, women bore, so the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manaha, Dan, between Zorah and Esra. So those are the final words of where he's come from. And then we read in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, now Samson went down to Timrah and saw a woman in Timrah and the daughters of the Philistines. So he went and told his father, saying, I have seen a woman. Those are the first words written about Samson. He went and told his father, I've seen a woman. And then his first words were, go get her for me, Dad, and get her. So those are the first words of Samson. But his story ends, with, or starts, the ending of his story begins with this, but he didn't know that the Lord had left him. G. Campbell Morgan had this to say about this verse and about this sense. I'd like to read it to you. It reveals the most appalling condition, that of an unconscious loss of the one essential to success in the work of God. At last, the hour had come in which God no longer cooperated with Samson, and the man did not know it. It is impossible to believe that this unconsciousness was a sudden thing. That is to say, this man had lost the keen consciousness of the presence of God, or else he would have been conscious of his absence. But he said there, he said, I didn't, he was going to get up like he did before. Having yielded to his own passions rather than the Spirit of God, he had come to the condition in which his knowledge of the power of that spirit was intellectual rather than experimental. He had had a great experience of that power, and he went on expecting them, even when he was making them impossible by the manner of his life. In the hour of need, he said, I will go out as at other times, but he could not. The expected experience did not come. He was caught and blinded and made the bondservant of his foes. The story is one to fill the soul with holy fear. The possibility of going on in an attempt to do the work of God after God has withdrawn himself is an appalling one. The issue is always that of defeat and uttermost shame. The value of the whole story for us is that it ought to teach us 
But if we yield ourselves to those desires of the flesh and spirit, which are not of harmony with the will of God, he must withdraw from us the power in which to do his work. The only way to ensure that we have not lost the fellowship of embezzlement is to maintain a conscious fellowship in complete obedience. You know, you've heard us talk to you before about how important daily reading of the Word of God, daily prayer, fellowshipping together in home fellowships or at church, doing those things. Those things are important to keep us into that presence of God. But God isn't quite done with Samson yet. So let's read on in the story. Let's pick it up in verse 21. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him uh, with a bronze fetter, and he became a grinder, and his hair began to grow back where it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered him into our hands, into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were married that they um, said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who led him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I may lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and on all the people who were within. So the dead that he killed in his death were more than he killed in his life. And his brothers and all the father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Esrael in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel for 20 years. His hair started to grow back. And so does his relationship with the Lord. He's humbled, and now he's in a place where he is completely dependent upon God. And Samson turns his heart back and his thoughts back to the Lord. And he prays, again, an honest and sincere prayer. I would probably pray, Lord, let me make up for my messed up life and, and redeem you and redeem Israel. But Samson says, Lord, let me get these guys because they put my eyes out. So he's honest with him. He, he goes, he's, he's, he's still personable. But Samson still knew the Lord would hear his prayer, even though not deserved. Sometimes we're in conditions where our prayers are not deserved to be heard. But I want you to know that the Lord hears our prayers, even though sometimes they're not deserved. From God's perspective, Samson was still God's Nazarite. And in the final act of self-denial and an act of courage, 
Samson actually fulfills his destiny, which was back in chapter 13, verse 5, to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. But one last application for us in the story of Samson. Samson asked the Lord to remember me. That's an interesting prayer. It's a short prayer. It's like Peter's prayer when he's walking on the water, Lord, save me. Short prayer, there's not a lot of words here. Just remember me. But for those of you who are with us who might be a non-believer, I'll tell you a story about Jesus when he went to the cross. There were two criminals that were crucified with him, one on the left and one on the right. One blasphemed, one mocked him, one put him down the whole time. But the other one whispered a simple prayer. Remember me. And so if you're a non-believer and you want to become a Christian, you want to know more about what this is, that's all you've got to say is, Lord, remember me. And then come up and talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders, and we'd be love to tell you more about that. So all you have to say is remember me. In the next book, when we get to First um, Samuel, you ladies probably know the story of Hannah very well. Hannah was... Um, she was distressed. She was beside herself. She um, was one of two wives married to a guy. One wife was having lots of babies. The other one, she was having none. And the one wife was really putting her down, calling her out, making fun of her, and she was having no babies. So it comes to, um, and this is from First Samuel chapter 1, um, she was sitting by the doorpost of the, ta- of the tabernacle. Eli was there, and and, and, she, and she was in bitterness of soul. This is Hannah, Samuel's mother. Prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the inflictions of your maidservant and remember me. So if you're a believer and you've got a burden, all you need to say Remember me. If you have a heavy load right now, like Hannah did, all you got to say is remember me. But what about if you're a believer and you've blown it, like Samson? You haven't lived the life you knew you were supposed to live. You haven't lived up to the potential that God has called you to. You know what? Just like Samson, you can just simply say, remember me, Lord. That is a simple prayer that we just need to sometimes bring ourselves into an awareness that God remembers us all the time.